UX Podcast Episode 137. Hi, and welcome to UX Podcast. Balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axboom. And this week, we are going to be talking to Andy Budd. Andy Budd, he's uh, the co-founder and CEO of ClearLeft. Familiar to a lot of people in the industry, ClearLeft was one of the first user experience consultancies in the UK, I think. Uh, Andy, much like us, he started designing websites back in 98, I think. He was designing and building, wasn't he? Because he's Mm -hmm. a front-end developer too. Right. Uh, we were all deciding a building. We were copying code. <laughs> yeah, we were. You couldn't do one without the other back then, yeah. could you? He's written books, uh, CSS Mastery, Advanced Web Standards Solutions, and he was also, in 2010, Wired Magazine actually named Andy as one of the 100 most influential people in the digital sector. Yeah, there we go. And we'll be talking to him today about uh, design leadership. Design leadership, which is becoming... Um, it's one of those big topics in our branch um, as it um, rapidly matures. I um, think so, yeah. Designers that become leaders and leaders who become, well, leaders of designers. <laughs> <laughs> Design teams are growing. Uh, we're not just part of the, a subdivision of the marketing department yet uh, anymore. We're becoming our own thing. And uh, that uh, means we need le- leaders. And Andy's going to tell us a bit about how that works. In most apps, mobile customer service is just a contact us link that launches an email. UX-wise, this sucks. However, using the Zendesk Embeddables mobile SDK, you can improve your UX and bring native in-app support to your app quickly and easily. Learn more at zendesk.com slash UX podcast. Start us off, Andy, by telling us a bit about design leadership. Uh, what does that encompass? What does that mean, really? I mean, the sort of the, the answers in the name, really. Um, in in often in organisations large and small, you'll have a team of designers, and those designers will often require some kind of guidance, some kind of direction. That might be on a managerial level. That might be purely. Um, looking after people from a line managerial perspective but often it's also having somebody that can galvanize action that can remove roadblocks that can really sort of proselytize design throughout the organization and that would be the role of a design leader Um, and throughout uh, organizations large and small you might be leading a team you might be leading a department like the design department you might have a role that's what larger, like a VP of design or a, a chief design officer, um, where you might have a board level position where you're trying to instill a sense of design throughout an all, the whole organization. Mm-hmm. But I think whether you're leading design at a board level or you're leading design at a more local level, um, it's really about kind of providing that visibility and that support to the designers under you. Right. So... I mean, this is, this is something that's relatively new for, um, for, for our industry, really, because the, the way that we've been maturing quite rapidly, um, most people have not been schooled or, or, or um, prepared for, for being leaders um, in this way. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the reason I'm interested in this is because 
Uh, I come. I, I'm a designer by heart. I'm a, I'm a UX designer, as, as some of your um, uh, audience might know. Mm. And so, uh, ten or fifteen years ago, when I started, a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends, other bloggers, um, people like Doug Bowman or um, uh, Mike Davidson, uh, who I'd meet up with at conferences, were, were designers as well. They were like me. And as I've grown up in the industry, and as I've got better of what I've done. A lot of my friends have, have gone from uh, being solo designers to leading a small team, mm. to leading a larger team, to leading a department, to being maybe vice president of design or, 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 or chief design officer. And this is something that sort of only really emerged in the UK, at least in the last three or four years. Often design was a subdivision of marketing, let's say, yeah. and there might not be a, 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 a design leader. It might be a head of marketing and then below that a bunch of designers. But I think as organisations have started to realise the power and importance of design, which is clearly a good thing, um, there's a realisation that designers need to have, um, and organisations need to have their leadership roles. So I guess in the last five years in the UK and maybe in the last eight years in the US, we've seen those roles becoming more and more prevalent. And again, as I said earlier, they started just by small little local line management and then they grew and they grew and they grew in, in impact until um, nowadays a lot of the people that hire ClearLeft and, and agencies like us are head of UX, head of design, head mm. of digital um, and they are managing you know, fairly large, complicated teams of people maybe across a whole bunch of geographies, you know, um, maybe running teams that have people in the UK, people in Sweden, people in America, and it can get really, really complicated and really, really messy very quickly. And so speaking to my friends that are in this situation, you're absolutely right. A lot of these people are designers. You know, they were never, you know, managers. They never went and did an MBA. They've never had any management qualifications. And so they've had to kind of figure this stuff out as they go. And a lot of the ways they figured it out is by aping their peers. So mm. they'll look at who was a great manager from their history. You know, maybe they had an inspiring um, agency owner if they worked in an agency, <laughs> or maybe they had a great marketing manager when they were in a, in a kind of marketing department. And they sort of tried to adopt the, the attitude and practices that these people have, um, have sort, of, uh, um, sort of followed. And so a lot of design leaders are in this weird situation where there's a lot of expectations on them, um, a lot of expectations coming from their team to provide the support that they need, a lot of expectations coming from their team to provide the career advancement that a lot of um, mid-level designers require, but also um, expectations from the organisation to sell design in, organisations from the board to go and pitch design, to pitch the value. And expectations from their peers, expectations from the head of marketing and the head of IT, that they are going to come to the table and have, you know, senior, you know, conversations with people who are their, their peers. And so there's a lot of new stuff that people are trying to get to grips with. Mm. And it's really, really difficult. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you guys. And that's one of the reasons why over the last kind of sort of, I guess, 12 or 18 months, we've been doing a lot in this space. We started by having conversations with our friends that were struggling with this stuff. Um, off the back of that, we started running sort of roundtable sessions where we'd get 12 or 15 design leaders together from different sectors to talk about these problems. And a lot of the same problems kept coming up time and time again. And then I guess about six months ago, we decided to start a conference which was aimed at design leaders to help sort of tackle some of these problems. Um, and 
it was a bit of a risk from our point of view. We didn't know whether there was enough design leaders out there to really warrant having a, a conference dedicated design leadership. Right. But the last kind of six weeks, eight weeks we've been selling tickets, the uh, the uptake has been great. We're, we're already sort of about two thirds sold out. A lot of people, a lot of friends of ours on Twitter have been really positive and saying that the industry is ready for conferences to kind of support design leaders. So I think we're really excited and I'm really looking forward to seeing what will happen in in three months time, two months time when the, the conference starts. Yeah, I, th- I absolutely agree. I think the, there's clearly a need for that um that, that step now into educating um, the people who, who have been design managers. I think this is something else. Though. I think there's a there's a clear distinction to me anyway between um, the people now who've, who've been going through design management. Some of the some of the points you brought up just now, Andy, we're talking about taking care of design and taking care of a team and and the kind of production side of of, of design. Um, and then you brought in some of the other, um, I suppose, newer aspects of this with the design leadership, where mm. organisations are expecting you to, 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 you know, fly the flag and come in and sell design into them, and and that's that's definitely the area that seems to me anyway to be very new um, for these the, the dual role of design leader and design manager. Well, I think I think managers are coordinators and managers are supporters and uh, managers uh, quite often focus on these sort of administrative tasks of management, kind of like I say, looking after the health and the well-being of their team. Mm -hmm. But I think leaders are people who inspire you, people who you want to follow, people that get you excited. And leaders will be the ones that kind of like charge out there and try and make space for design. Mm. And, you know, I think design... You know, if you read Harvard Business Review, if you if you open, um, you know, kind of uh, magazines around kind of innovation, design is is really hot at the moment. Yeah. A lot of organisations, large organisations, are um, really doubling down on design and investing in design. And a lot of the job of design leadership is to basically make that um, that promise come true. You know, allow organisations to really utilize design in a business critical way it used to be the case that marketing had a seat at the table and it Mm. had a seat at the table but design was never really seen as strategically important Mm. but i truly believe these days that technology is is become a commodity you know technology is a thing that you buy off the shelf technology is a thing that you outsource um technology apart from maybe artificial intelligence and machine learning is heavily commoditized and it doesn't offer much value, much unique value to organizations. Whereas design is still really tricky to copy. Really great design, very few companies get and very few companies deliver it well. But when as an organization you deliver really, really great designed experiences, when you make users feel like you really cared about um, the service, mm. um, it can pay dividends. And so I see design as a massive a strategic um, benefit, and it's a way of separating yourself from the crowd, from the herd. But to do that, you need to hire design leaders, you need to empower them, you need to give them the ability to um, set governance policy within the organisation, you need to give them the ability to hire great design teams and look after them in a way that kind of um, allows them to use their unique problem-solving abilities to solve business problems in a different way. And ultimately, that's what what really good design is about. Good design is about applying design thinking, applying the 
the tools and processes of design, but often to problems that would typically be outside the realm of design, solving knotty, thorny business problems. But that's really where I think a lot of the benefit comes mm. from. And, and the weird thing is, if you look at where design is being taught best at the moment, if you look around the world and find out where design is being taught best, it isn't being taught at the traditional design schools. It's been taught in business schools. You know, design has now become a business critical activity. You go to D school and they're offering what is effectively an MBA for design. You look at the Singularity University and it's an MBA for design, effectively taking business leaders and teaching them skills of design. Mm. So design is vitally important and design leaders have a key role in the success of, of businesses. That's true. I see the same thing actually happening in Sweden with regards to educational institutions with the business schools having the design educations. Uh, and it's really a testament, I think, really to how designers in, in the web industry, in the web era, have done a really good job. Because in the beginning, we were one designer on a team, on a web team, and then you were two designers, and you've been growing. And then somebody realizes, oh, my God, somebody has to take care of all these designers because we don't know what they're talking about. So you get that. So we need a designer in a managerial position, and then you get your UX leaders. Uh, and that becomes someone then, the way I understand, because you were, you were talking about all these expectations on UX leaders, sounds like it's sort of a superhuman <laughs> uh, who needs to be able to do all this, but also want to do all that. Um, it does seem like a bit of a daunting task for someone, but is that a natural advancement then for designers to become design leaders? Oh, that's a, that's a really, really tricky question. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back to something you said earlier, which is... Um, as organizations increasingly value design, there is a natural tendency to hire more designers. Mm. Um, with a lot of organizations, they might have 20, 30, 40 developers to every one designer. Yeah. The mm. problem with designers is they are so willing to please that they will take on that challenge and they will tr sort of spread design very, very thinly across every touch point. The problem with that is you often end up having design that is, is not very good. Um, for design, for organisations to really mature and to really adapt and adopt design, um, you kind of need to have a ratio of somewhere between one designer to every five or one designer to every ten developers. Um, uh, that's a that's a really really comfortable ratio. But again, you know, if you've got a large organisation that's fairly development focused, it's kind of the two pizza team basically. In your classic Amazon two pizza team, if you've got four, five, six developers, a product manager, you need a designer on that team. And with a lot of companies, they might have five, six, seven product teams. You might need five or six, seven designers. And if you've got five, six, seven designers, you need to have somebody to look after their growth to um, make sure that the quality of design is high, that the stuff you're shipping is, is um, good enough to go. And, um, and and so you're absolutely right that the maturity of the design industry and the rise in headcount has definitely sort of necessitated, um, necessitated design leadership. Whether that's the natural um, end point, I don't know. You mm. know, one of the challenges is, you know, and this is true in a lot of industries, you know, take nursing, for instance. You can have the best nurse possible. Um, the nurse is amazing with, with patients that kind of can really sort of help solve problems and, and make patients kind of well again. Take that nurse and you put that nurse into a managerial position. Suddenly, all the great things that they know how to do, they're not doing anymore. Exactly. And they're having to line manage. Yeah. 
-hmm. Now, is that the best way of taking someone with a really, really deep mm -hmm. skill and removing that skill from the, from the system, mm -hmm. from the ecosystem, and giving them a job that is now really doesn't have much relevance to what they do on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. I would say the same is true with a lot of designers. Um, one of the things that I thought um, Mike Davison and, and Doug Bowman did really, really well at Twitter was this understanding that if you were a manager, you didn't get any more money than if you were a non-manager. So that's unusual, like because usually the perception is that managerial um, advancement brings you more money. But Twitter realised that there is value in having amazingly talented designers that actually do design. And if you wanted to kind of double down on design, and if you wanted to be a brilliant designer in Twitter, there was a career path for you, mm. and there was a salary that, matched your ability mm. however if maybe design was not your key skill but people skills were or public speaking were or you know kind of the propaganda skills that you require to be a design leader you could choose to go into a leadership track but that didn't get you any more money it didn't get you any more um uh, dollars in the bank it maybe gave you more ability to affect design in the organization but what ends up happening is you end up um, almost living vicariously. As a design leader, you're often not doing design um, in anger, but you're living vicariously through the amazing design work that your team does and you're supporting them. Mm. So I think there's a naivety that says I get to a certain level and I have to become a leader in order to progress further. And I think that's a real shame. And I think we are losing some amazing designers to the kind of the leadership track. On the other hand, there are people who wouldn't, you know, maybe not the best designers who are perfect leadership material. So I think it's a balance. Is that, is that something, though, that we can maybe... Um, would it be better in many cases, then, that we we recruit or we kind of um, convert, I suppose is probably a better way of saying it, um, more um, traditional leaders in organisations using our... Um, you know, our, our design powers or our design communication <laughs> skills and you know, all this UX magic we've got to, to kind of, let's say, convert people at that side, the business side. Um, so they become um, a business manager, business leader who is also kind of um, boosted by design knowledge. Uh, that's a really good question. And um, I wish that that was a good solution. Um, mm. I really do. However, I think... I think the main knowledge is really important here. I think designers look to leaders that understand where they're coming from, that have walked in their shoes, that can have um, detailed conversations around design. You know, maybe the design leaders are no longer up on the latest sketch, you know, advancements or the latest Photoshop plugins or the latest interaction design tools, but can have a peer level conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the problems I see in most organisations is the design team isn't managed by a designer. They're not managed by a digital native. They're managed by somebody who comes from a completely different background. Maybe they're managed by someone that comes from an old school print background. Mm. Maybe they're managed by somebody that was once a marketing person. And often they might have those managerial skills. They might be able to support someone's personal growth, but they don't have the leadership skills. Um, they don't have the ability to go into battle um, for the values that the design team hold true. And so awkwardly, I think it's in some regards, I think it's much easier to take a great designer 
and teach them managerial skills than it is to take a great manager and explain to them about the the intricacies of design. Mm. Um, but that's just my own personal opinion and personal experience. But I think that would be the way that I would want to do it because I want to be working for someone that really cares passionately about design and gets it. But that's not to say that some people can't. And I have seen great marketing managers and great digital managers, also digital directors, that really, really understand the intricacies. But I, I feel you've got to have lived it and you've got, to, you know, design, design is not a job. Design is a calling. I know that sounds a bit of a weird thing, but the people I know who are the best designers don't just get up at, you know, go to work at nine o'clock and, and leave at five and check out like a lot of industries. They, they live and breathe design and it's something that's part of their fibre and they can sense, you know, when other people share that connection, that kind of, um, you know, being part of that club or that clan. And that is really important. I think that's something yeah. that definitely we've noticed through the years in our in our industry, if you want to call it the UX industry or or design industry, that there is that um, that that calling, that that feeling oh, of, yeah, of really. caring mm-hmm. that um, that exists um, for an awful lot of people that we've met during the years. And one of my prejudices is that, I mean, designers are an individualistic people, so they like their tools and they like to argue for their way of doing things, and that's I think. I think where a design leader probably comes in and says, this is the process we're going to use in these types of projects. And these are the tools that we have to agree upon, whether we use Sketch or whether we use paper prototypes or in what, what, we, what way we do it, so that we all work together instead of arguing, which I guess is what a, when, when you put a lot of designers in the same room, you'll get a lot of, a lot of arguments, which is good, of course, but mm-hmm. then you need the design leaders to get, get, get them going. I mean, that's, that's yeah. definitely... I'd say that's definitely one approach to leadership. Yeah. Um, but actually, I'm much more interested in the idea of servant leadership. So the approach that you're sort of um, uh, suggesting where, where the design leader sets the context and the way of working probably is better for how the design team integrate with development, let's say. You know, if everyone's using the same tool set, um, that makes it easier when you're handing over your assets to somebody else. However... I I believe that different designers have different skills in different areas. And um, if you force them into a particular way of working, then you get into the problem of if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. In fact, I would argue that one of the biggest challenges that the Silicon Valley startup mindset have created is they've created so much scaffolding around design by formalizing tool sets, by creating fairly rigid design languages that actually it's kind of new to designers. Designers in a lot of tech startups are great at taking the basic building blocks that have already been created and assembling them in new and interesting ways. But if you ask them to solve a problem from scratch, often they've lost the the unique kind of um, creative abilities to kind of design a problem without having all these tool sets around them. I'm much personally, my style of leadership is to hire amazing people, um, allow them to draw from a whole range of tool tools that they've created over their years and pick the right tool for the job. And that might be that one project team on one product um, prefers to use Sketch and another one prefers to use Photoshop. It might be that one team prefers to prototype in um, one tool and, and another team prefers to prototype in something else. I kind of think in some regards, you know, if you're in a smaller organization, that's easily mitigated. 
and I want the, the designers to be as effective as possible. And if telling them they have to use a particular tool stunts that growth or stunts that effectiveness, I don't think that's the right way of doing it. I want craftspeople um, that can that can use a whole range of tools. I, I completely agree with you, a, actually. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's it's yeah. also it makes me think about the fact yeah. that we we're at that threshold now where you know what you're describing there, Andy, is, is a lot of this. You know, we've we've delivered a, a design. Some of these organisations like Twitter and they built up all this scaffolding, built up all these systems, processes, standards. And that's almost to that point where now we've done this design. This is where it is. Now we're maintaining it. We're going to make sure no one's destroying all this lovely work we've done. Mm. And that then, exactly like you said there, that puts a restriction on your on your way to, to inspire, to mm. um, envisage, to, to, to go out there and lead an organization into the, the, the world of um, design thinking or design exactly. doing, as Don Norman said to us. Yeah, and I, w- I would never suggest that a leader would, would force anything upon someone, or but rather coach people into agreeing or together coming up with the best solution but as a coaching coaching process uh, as a leader you would you would probably just enable the process of them talking to each other and being their best i mean yeah being their it, best it, selves it completely yeah. des- depends on the organization some mm-hmm. organizations really really would benefit from having um more processes and more um decision on what tool sets to use other organizations will benefit from having a looser style of uh, uh, of leadership but again it comes back to leadership and management i think management is about setting um requirements and processes and leadership is about inspiring people and i think there is a slight difference um, yeah. although there's yeah. obviously overlap there as well excellent, excellent. thank you uh, management i think is a, is a key to uh, to a lot of this uh, and I, I guess people will learn a lot about that at the conference. Mm. We're actually coming up to the help-to-scale questions. So do you hey, remember hey what we talked about? So on a scale of 1 to 7, we're going to ask some questions for you to answer. You can only answer with the numbers we give you, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you which choose, are 1 to 7. Exactly. You choose on the scale from and 1 to 7. And you'll understand, by the way, we ask the question how you answer. <laughs> so one each. I'm going to go ahead and do the first one. Uh, on a scale of one to seven, how much did you enjoy the Netflix series Stranger Things? Oh man, that that's a total seven. <laughs> it's, it was it was that. really good. Do you know Do you know what? Um, Netflix spoiled me for other series. After Netflix, me and my partner tried to watch two or three different series on Netflix on Amazon, and by comparison, they just fell flat. You know, on a scale of one to seven. Um, how would you rate the future of desired agencies? Oh, that's a cheeky little question. <laughs> I'm going to probably say a four. But the reality is, so I, I think I think the design industry, the design agency industry is in, a, is in an interesting place at the moment. I think the smaller agencies are being, um, uh, there's heavy competition from services like Spotify and Squarespace that are, are doing really, really great uh, template-based design work that a lot of the smaller agencies would have done, you know, and, and charge 5K or 10K for. Um, but they're doing it for $50, $100. At the higher end of the, the scale, I think a lot of organisations, thankfully, have finally realised that design is important. And because of that, they've started bringing design in-house. That has caused a lot of agencies problems because a lot of their work has dried up and a lot of their staff have gone in-house. So 
um, you've seen a squashing of the agency space from both the top and the bottom. So the reason I say a four is because I believe a lot of agencies over the next few years will go bust. Um, a lot of their staff will go in-house uh, and there will be problems. But that doesn't necessarily mean that agencies in general will stop. I think the market will be smaller, but I think the people that stay will be better. And I think what you will see is kind of what we're doing at the moment at Clear Left. You know, we're not just having projects thrown over the shelf to us and delivering those projects. What we're doing is we're having companies come to us, often very large, very good brands that have in-house teams that need help, that have hired, you know, you know, good, but, you know, designers. But those designers have not grown. Those designers have not been given access to new skills, new development opportunities. And they want to pair them up with an agency like Clearleft to mentor them, to train them, to coach them, to lead projects, um, to show them new skills, give them the space and the permission and the authority to try new things. And together as a, as a team, deliver great new products. And so I think there will be smaller number of projects out there, but the projects might be more interesting and the organisations will have a blended approach where it's not now just, like I say, throwing projects over the fence, but you are working in close collaboration with designers inside those organisations. So weirdly, for some organisations, it's a seven. For some organisations, it's a, for some agencies, it's a seven, like Clear Left. I think we're, we're doing better work, more interesting work with more interesting companies than we have ever done before. But for smaller agencies or less good agencies, it's a one because they're going out of business, because they can't adapt and they don't have anything to offer against in-house teams. I think I agree with that one. I think it's about sustainability, design sustainability. And that's where you have those relationships with your clients rather than just throw deliverables at them. Exactly. So it's all about the approach you have as an agency. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, one, the, the weird thing is I see lots of agencies whose whole mod modus operandi is to land a big client and then to try and work with them for as long as possible and to suck as much money out of them as possible and <laughs> yes. make them dependent on them. <laughs> yep. And that has never been our that's never been our focus. Our focus at Clear Left is to kind of and this sounds a bit weird, but to try and decouple ourselves from that client because what we want to do is we want to get in there, we want to allow the client to develop new skills that they can then take ownership of their digital future, we can then leave and go and work with another company because the reality is there's so much bad design out there. There's so many broken digital experiences that we want to move on from client to client to client, but we want to leave a trail of, of companies that have grown and have improved and have benefited from our involvement. Because ultimately, these days, like every piece of service, you know, every service that clients um, deliver it's going to have some digital component. And so those companies need to get really good at digital and companies like Clearleft can help them. <laughs> awesome. There we go. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this with us, Andy. And we'll, uh, it, was, it was a delight. We'll love to have you back in the next year or so. Definitely do that. Okay, for a second there, I was a bit worried that uh, Andy somewhat misunderstood what I meant about the design leader helping uh, the team do their best work. So... I want to just say it like this. A good leader will not tell people what or how to do things. I truly do not believe that. Uh, but they will listen in a way as, as coaches. I'm into coaching these days, as you know. And so they will help their colleagues perform better and work better together. So the answers to the best ways of working together are absolutely within the designers. And the design leader just helps them arrive at those answers faster, I think. Hopefully. <laughs> 
I, I, I think the I think the point came across, Per. But um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've we ourselves have heard a lot about a lot of a lot of that that question about what tools do you use comes up quite a you know worryingly large amount of time from people who are in charge of design teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. So it, it's a it's a big it's a biggie it's a big topic, um, and I think your what you're saying is spot on. Excellent. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the um, one of the asp- one of the aspects of the conversation that I, th- I think is something we need to think about more and consider more is when we talked about converting existing leaders. Um, you know, I asked the question about is it best to convert business leaders um, to design leaders, and Andy said no. I think um, that design leaders have to be first and foremost designers and you know so that's the best solution that we take designers and nurture them into to leaders um but you know when i think about this it's it's a bit of a numbers game out there there are there are a huge amount of of traditional or kind of regular or non-design leaders and you know we're noticing this trend that it's converging we've we've got a kind of pull and push from both directions um, and the brutal truth is, there's more of them than us. <laughs> we're we're out, we're outnumbered. We're mm. um, you know the number of designers becoming design leaders is always going to be less than the number of more traditional business leaders getting into to yeah, our our because space. Because there are people who want to be leaders and who are probably really good leaders because they've gone that way, they've gone that route, and they want to be support for people. So. Mm. I think what you're saying then is that so there's we can't really say that they are not allowed to come into our arena, but they are there. They're going to be coming, so we need to find a way for 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 them to be good design leaders. Yeah, I mean we can say that the the maybe the preferred option is to, you know converting designers into design leaders, um, but the brutal truth is um, we're going to have the most of our leaders are going to be non-designers because that's a numbers thing, and we're going to have to work out how to help them become good design leaders without being a d- designer in, in you know in, in the beginning um mm. so i think we're going to have that kind of i suppose in some ways there's going to be a middle role there that you know senior designers maybe in in design teams are going to have to be you know good right hand good wingmen right exactly and that's really interesting because now are we coming across uh, the imposter syndrome once again I, i've sort of felt that when i realized that though these design leaders have to be superhuman mm. if i'm really a good advocate of design within the organization am i not a good design leader if i'm also not a support to a team or if i'm a really good team leader am i not a design leader if i'm not a good advocate of design and, and marketing that within the organization. So do I need mm. to do everything? What yeah. makes the good design leader? But I think this is the conversation that Andy is driving and that's mm. really important. It is. This is these are these are real issues that are mm. that are that we're meeting up against now and we have to be pragmatic and, and consider how we're gonna go forward with them. Thank you um to Zendesk for sponsoring this episode. Um, and remember to visit zendesk.com slash UX podcast to find out more about their um, in-app support. And as per usual, you can find show notes at uxpodcast.com. Follow us pretty much anywhere as UX podcast and sign up for our backstage mailing list by DM- DMing us. We say that now. DM us now because you won't be visiting any website when you're listening to the podcast. Just DM us on, now on Twitter. Say you want on the backstage mailing list. Provide your email address and we'll put you on there. Uh, great fun there. Backstage at uxpodcast.com if you actually do want to email us instead. But we know you won't have time to do that. <laughs> Keep your hands on the wheel when you're driving. 
Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Mm-hmm.